Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider. That gentleman, 1,850 miles southeast of me, is none other than Mr. Kip Fisher. And we are coming to you live for the 170th time this 27th day of October, 2017. Mr. Fisher, how the heck are you? I'm pretty good, I reckon. How about you, Fantabulous. I am here on a Friday evening with a finger of rum and a fantastic cigar. Uh, I'm altogether healthy and mostly happy. So, you know what that means? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) Plenty of bad jokes for you and the listeners. (laughs) That's what we live for. That's why you tune in, ladies and gentlemen. Who am I kidding? Gentlemen? No women are going to <laughs> purposefully listen to my sense of humor. And that's not true. We had a, a whole gaggle of, of ladies in South Florida that were listening. I know, and they were they were so kind to turn me on to what has uh, absolutely become an elusive and luscious rum that I cannot find in my area. Oh, what was the name of it again? Um, I think it was Dos Madeiras. Ah, two woods. Okay. That's correct. It was the Dos Madeiras 5 plus 5. Five years in, uh, I believe, sherry casks, and then five years in white oak. And it Hmm. was delicious. Absolutely delicious. But uh, we are three minutes into the show and I am waxing poetic about something having nothing to do with cigars. So sorry about that. (laughs) That's kind of the foundation of the show. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm supposed to give him three minutes of cigars and then I can justify three minutes of no cigars. We do a two hour show on three minutes of cigar content. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) We literally did that last episode. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? And I got off last week's call, walked upstairs to the bathroom, and thought to myself the whole time, dang, I think that was our best show in months. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. So how the heck are you? Still melting in the heat down there? Eh, It's toasty. It's it's been worse, but it could be better, I'm sure. (laughs) I mentioned before that people told us when we came here that October was the worst month for the heat, and we thought it was absolute crap. There's no freaking way. But I think it's kind of true that the the, uh, non-scientific anecdotal, probably somebody made up answer, is that the prevailing winds change during this time, and there's kind of like when the tide comes in and goes out, there's a slack tide in between where it kind of reaches its peak, but it doesn't immediately start receding. And it's kind of like that with these winds. And so October tends to be a dead month for the wind. There's no no air movement, and it's just stifling, even if the temperature's not that high. Huh. I wonder what the heck causes that. Is it just simply that, you know, you're going to have it change from one direction or another, and so a slack tide is legitimately what it is? You just have no movement? I have absolutely no clue. All I know is October, these first few years we've been here, have been has been a hot month. I wonder if I could plant in a story in your, in your head and say, Kip, you know what I just read? 
February is the hottest month in the Dominican Republic. And then you would all of a sudden think February was really hot. That's worth a try. I don't have much. Kid, of did you know October is the coldest <laughs> month in the Dominican? All right. Now I'm just being. Dude, if that could work. I, I, I don't like cold, but I would take just a little bit for a while for right now. I have to say, I told you that I don't think we got over 45 today, and I thought that your face looked like, I have to say, I think I ran over a puppy earlier. You looked the exact same way as if I would have said something that atrocious. I, I was not expecting a number that low. That, that's, ooh, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is not cutting it for me. I don't like 45 unless it's got about 30 more degrees to go with it. Your blood has thinned to something fierce, I think. Oh, I've been gone from cold weather for 20 years. And I bet Tennessee wasn't even that cold. Would you get you would get ice and maybe a flurry that didn't stick, right? Well, we'll get snows on occasion. And, and East Tennessee in the mountains have has four very well-defined seasons. Hmm. So it got cold, but... It didn't stay cold for six months out of the year. We weren't iced over from July the 5th to July the 3rd. <laughs> or not Zedman. No, Zedman or, or Ian in Montana. I'm saying they got... <laughs> that's the source of that saying is the joke that Montana has two seasons. They have winter and July the 4th. <laughs> Uh, my dad uh, is in Wyoming a lot for work and, and shortly after they moved there so gosh this is now 17 years 16 years something like that he uh, he bought me a little uh, oh, oh shoot I'm going to forget the, the name for this but it was basically like an anchor with a, a ribbon sticking off of it and it was like uh uh, oh crap! It was something to indicate uh, how cold, how brisk and windy it is in Wyoming, and so it always just kind of reminded me of that that same sort of uh, uh, cold northwest uh, viewpoint. That's a terrible story. This goes along. Hey, I warned everybody at least the first three minutes. <laughs> if the anchor's wet, it's raining. If the anchor's horizontal, it's windy. It was like if the anchor's no longer here. <laughs> it was one of those one of those things. Yeah, never mind. Oh hey, well, I'm sure it was funny one time. Nope, I bet it wasn't. <laughs> uh, so hey. what? What? What are you gonna say? I was gonna say we're like five or ten minutes into this and still haven't even said anything remotely resembling a comment about what we're smoking tonight. You want to go another five to ten minutes, or are we going to talk about it? I don't mind me. Whatever. Uh, At some point, one of us has to stop talking with the guards <laughs> in our mouth. <laughs> that, is, that is true. All right. right, let's. Uh, we both got it out of our mouth, and you can still look at your band to read exactly what it is. So why don't you do that? Okay. For those on the video, apparently we have guys on video that are absolutely not listening to us tonight because <laughs> they have the ball game on baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> the first comment in the chat room tonight was from Mandex. He says, just so you know, I'm watching, but I muted the sound until the ball game. Was over. 
that's great to know. Great to know. Anywho, we are smoking. For those on the video, they can see this. Aha, uh-huh, it even focused for just a second. Oh, it did. The, uh, 2015 Mason Dixon project from Crowned Heads, uh, this being the Northern edition for that year. Um, uh, this was the second year. It was a limited run each each time. First debuting in 2014 with uh, a Southern edition and a Northern edition, and only the stores below within the Southern territories, but below the Mason-Dixon line, presumably, could offer the Southern edition, and those north of the line could offer the Northern edition. Although I, I, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Distinctly remember shops in Florida that had the Northern edition, and one of the shop owners, I asked him how that was possible, and he had friends who had shops up north, and they traded boxes so they could each sell a little bit of both. Uh, but that, of course, was post post Crown Heads involvement in the transaction. Um, as far as Crown Heads were concerned, these were distributed to their respective territories. Um, and for 2014, I don't recall the blend specifics because I didn't dig back into it. I think I actually wanted one or both of these at, at that time. But the 2015 that we're smoking tonight, uh, the Northern Edition, which is what we have, um, of course, these were both made by my father for crowned hits. But the northern edition that we're smoking had an Ecuador and a Bono wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and filler. And uh, for those that are interested, the southern edition had a Connecticut broadleaf wrapper also over Nicaraguan binder and filler. Um, and it, uh, there's a few things that uh, differentiate the 2015 from the 2014 if you're out there and you see some on the shelf. Uh, when I held this band up, you'll notice there's some Roman numerals in, uh, on the band. And it's not going to want to focus again, but uh, that have the year. That was 2015. I believe that was absent on the bands the first year, uh, as well as a couple of other minor little graphics changes on the band. Uh, and I don't know if you can see this in the video, but these cigars are a little bit pressed. They're not a very strong, boxy uh, squared off corner kind of press, but they are pressed. Um, and that was different. They were just regular round parejos. I'm parejos, holding. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, parejo is the right word. Yeah, in uh, 2014. Uh, so those are a couple of differences. You can pick them out. And as I seem to recall, the year was on the box as well. Um, but uh, they were made, I think I mentioned, by my father for crown heads. There's roughly 30,000 cigars for each edition for 2015. They retailed just under 10 bucks. I actually seem to recall them that uh, well below MSRP in the Tampa market at the time. And uh, I put a note in the notes that I still saw the 2015s on the shelf um, in Florida while I was there this past summer. So it's not an impossibility if you want to try these that you could you could come up with some. They're still floating around out there, or at least they were as of a few months ago. I am doing everything I can to try to get my camera to focus, and it's not you, going to. So, look like you were casting a spell or something. <laughs> um, there we go. Oh, that's a beautiful focus for you. Yeah, you can even make just, out the texture of your wrapper really well. Well, you're dealing with professionals here. I'm just out of focus in person. 
Well, um, I have to say this is one of the more flavorful cigars in the first third that we have had in a while. I am getting some distinct and kind of fun flavors off of this. Um, and uh, I don't know if that's because you've been kind of yapping a little bit, thankfully, giving me a little time to to try to digest what I'm tasting here, or if these are just so prominent that I'm I'm getting them. But um, I'd say one of the, the heavier flavors on this front end is something more akin to the aroma of brown sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, not overly sweet, but it's it's definitely reminiscent. Um, along with that, there's almost like a a, a whiskey or a spirit um, type of character that's kind of finishing off that brown sugar. Um, you know, I might kind of uh, what do I want to say. I might kind of go generic and say it's it's a little bit of a crispness. That that's not so what citrusy, um, but it's it's there. It reminds me of kind of a a little tannic spirit bite, just a little bit like that. Um, and then there's also almost like wafts of a, a cheesy flavor, which is Jeez. really, yeah, it's really kind of interesting. Like like Pepperidge Farm cheese crackers or something. Like it's <laughs> it's very different and. Uh... It's good. We're going to take crap over that. That's all right. They're not listening anyways, remember? Just minor hints of an essence of dingleberry. <laughs> well, we're trying to get Pepperidge Farm as our new sponsor. We don't want to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, we don't want to compromise our ethics by having anything cigar-related, but Pepperidge Farm <laughs> is about as out there as it could be. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's uh, it's it's been a pretty flavorful first half inch, three quarters of an inch. I I like this cigar, um, and I was saying to you before we got started that uh, I smoked one of these at some point after you sent it and ha- sent it, and have absolutely no memory of that. So it could not have been nearly as enjoyable uh, the first time around. So let's see if it continues. Cool. Also, it, this is very clean on the palate to me. It, like retro hell and everything, it doesn't leave a uh, a thick coating, and, and I'm not I don't mean that in a negative way. It, it's not it doesn't have a long, long lingering finish that even you know is strong between puffs. It, it's it's almost cleansing rather than clean, and I get that a lot on cigars that tend to have what I call more citrusy kind of flavors. And I, I don't really get citrus in this, but it feels that way. It feels, feels a little bit bright, a little bit, uh, um, I think you said crisp. I may stop short of crisp, but a little brusque, uh, but clean on the palate and, and through the nose on a retro head. The, the crispness is definitely not the word that I want to use to describe it. I, I want to, say that it's something more akin to kind of the finish of a whiskey or the finish of, of not a bourbon. It's not nearly that, that strong or unique. It's, it's just definitely a spirit of some sort. And I'm thinking I'm like leaning towards like an Irish whiskey, how it's much more approachable, but it's not 
overly heavy and you're just kind of left with a little bit of a a, a cleansed palate. I, I think that that's a really good descriptor for it as well. I think we're talking about the same thing, but yeah. neither of us are 100% sure how to describe it. Right. So, but yeah, enjoyable. A perfect uh, construction. It's a big cigar and uh, it doesn't feel horrible because of the press. I mm, like that. I, I don't think I gave the dimensions. This was only offered in a single Vitola. Uh, like I mentioned, they were pressed, and this is a 6x52 Toro. It feels bigger than 6. That's what she said. No, that's not <laughs> what she said. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. All right, all right, all right. Well, I'm liking this so far. Um, <clears throat> I... Uh, I was thinking, because earlier I smoked um, uh, another Pepin-made product, another cigar that's come out of uh, my father, Um, and I was thinking a little bit more about the characteristics of some of the more common new-school Nicaraguan uh, flavor profiles out there. And I think that this one is akin to something that I'd expect from Pepin, but it's not it's not as robust or dirty, maybe. You hit the nail on the head. This is a cigar if I smoked blindly, I would never in my life guess to be a My Father produced cigar. Uh, It's got the... There's something about the sweetness that I would consider um, being akin to a My Father produced cigar, but it doesn't have the, the... the, I want to say character. It, it's it's different. You can tell that it it might have some similar tobaccos, but the person who's making the decision about what that final blend's going to be and what it should have, they're not somebody who's going to stick within the Jaime or Jose Garcia um, flavor profile, typical flavor profile. They're doing their own thing with exactly. the same products. Yeah, and, and what typically comes out with their name attached to it has a little bit, uh, a little bit of a burn to it through the nose, in the overwhelming majority of the time for my father's cigars, and that's not a dig on the cigars. That's their preferences and their blends, and it's certainly what many of their smokers prefer. Many of the people that are buying their cigars, so they they blend to that. And this doesn't have that. I can I can retro hell the daylights out of this cigar and there's no burn in my nose at all. And I don't see that very often in, in my father's cigars. But I, I would enjoy my father's cigars. Uh, two things. One, let's put a little dog ear on this part of the conversation and come back to it later on after uh, uh, we talk about what we've been smoking when we're into the email discussion. Um because I want to kind of recall this exact focus where we're mentioning um, uh, kind of the the feel or the style of some of the more popular cigars that are out there now. That's non-Cuban cigars that are out there. That's one. But two, um, I have no idea what I was going to say for two. Oh, well. Oh, it'll come to you when we get to the email, I suppose. Yeah, probably will. So, anyways, um, I, I like this. It's uh, it's a little illuminating to round out what's what's possible um, from my father. I 
I think I might even like it a little more because of that. Yeah, you know, a lot of times if I, I'm sitting here in my mind trying to think of my father's cigars that maybe don't have quite the the burn or the zing to them, and there's not just a whole ton of them, but there have been a few Tatawahes, the Belonk, and the um, what's its brother came out at the same time. Yeah, I know what you're saying. The other 10th yeah. anniversary one. Yeah, Bon Chanceau. Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, those two were blended. That, that They didn't do that to me. They didn't have that, that burn in the nose on a retro hill. Well, okay, let's put another book ear here, or dog okay. ear on this page for what else we've been smoking this week. Oh. So that's uh, absolutely is going to key. It's just going to fit in perfectly it's almost as if this is planned and i think with the name half-ashed everybody can understand that there's no way in he double hockey sticks we were smart enough to plan it this way but (laughs) you all remember that folks nothing has ever been planned around this show (laughs) and if it was up to me in the beginning we wouldn't have even had notes (laughs) so I would not survive without some notes. <laughs> that's all right. We, You know, last week we barely had notes. And like I said, well, maybe that's why I thought it was the best show that we had done in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, you're in luck because there's not really our lady notes tonight either. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Another good one, folks. Tune on in. <clears throat> all, right. all right. What do you say? Do we uh, start banging those? Six or eight months when these finally get published, people will tell us if they like them. <laughs> yeah, I was happy. I needed a, a couple podcasts today when I was driving around for work, and I got one. Yeah, I, I put two up, and I'll try to catch up tomorrow and be back to up. Maybe my Sunday having through this show published, but we'll play it by ear at this point. I can't make any promises for anything anymore. That's <laughs> uh, all right. <clears throat> I, I have. I had my whole day, I don't know if you saw the picture I posted on the forum, but my whole day rearranged for me today. You'd think I'd have come up with a little more time than to just do two, but I, got, I at least got two. In. I uh, I did not see the post. I have not been on the forum today. Actually, I don't think I was on it yesterday either. We uh, headed up the mountain this morning and got most of the way up, and there's a well guy in the middle of the road. And a, a well guy is a strike or a protest. Oh. <clears throat> which oh is boy. nonsensical because there's a handful of cars even drive on this road every day. But we come around the bend and there's giant logs and trees and a wheelbarrow and a pile of tires burning in the road and people all standing around with machetes. So <laughs> <laughs> that was not a joke. <laughs> So we just, there's no other option to turn around and go back because that's the only road where we needed to go. And so we saw a guy up there that we kind of know. We, we wave at people on the side of the road all the time, and we stopped and talked to him. And apparently some muchacho is upset because he's been working for somebody for four months, and they haven't paid him. And so his protest is to shut down the road and hold the weld up, which is fine. That's, that's a typical type of protest here. Usually it's a politically related where a community doesn't feel their voice is being heard or 
they want their road repaired or whatever, so they light tires on fire in the road and throw rocks and shoot at people and crazy stuff. And, <laughs> and it makes a political racket. So they'll, because they feel like they're not being heard and they're often not being heard, that gets somebody's attention that will come and at least open a conversation with them. But this guy's shutting down the road. I understand where he's coming from, but it doesn't, it, it, like I said, it was pointless because there's a handful of cars even come up this road in a day's time. He's only inconveniencing those few people, and they're not people in positions of power. They're going to make a difference to him. They're people like us. We can't help him at all. But meanwhile, there's a lady sitting at the top of the mountain waiting for us to pick her up and take her to a clinic to get her medication, and we could not do that because this joker's burning crap in the middle of the road for no good reason. Well, thanks, buddy. Yeah. Jack wagon. <clears throat> well, I understand that uh, everybody's got their own. What do we want to say? Uh, things that they are passionate and involved in. I, I get it. I I don't fault the guy whatsoever. But uh, maybe, perhaps, you know, do it somewhere where it's going to make a, a bit of an impact. Well, that's the normal thing. You. If you're wanting to do this, you do it somewhere like on a mean thoroughfare and you shut down a big chunk of traffic and you get a lot of people's attention, but there's just not very many people up there. Yeah. We, did, <laughs> we did pass the national police coming up as we were coming back down, so I'm guessing they were going up there and try to settle the people down, but it ain't like they had a fire truck. They're not. I mean, all they can do is sit and wait for the fire to burn out at that point. And then try to clean it up so the road's usable again. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, they can be scatter the crowd all they want, but they're not getting rid of the tires. No. Hmm. Well, <sighs> good for them, bad for you. Although maybe yeah. good for you because you got a couple episodes published. <laughs> yeah. But meanwhile, the lady's standing up there waiting on us with no telephone. We can't contact her to tell her we're not going to be there. Yeah. She's not going to get her medication today. That's not the best situation. No, but it's not not a rarity either, I suppose. Well, I suppose that it's, you know... <clears throat> I don't know your business, uh, obviously, but I would imagine it's it's generally not something that's uh, wait till the last minute and then address it sort of a thing. So hopefully she didn't have to have it done immediately. Let's hope. Yeah. That's, uh, I hope as well. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Yep, yep. Oh. Excuse me. <laughs> You're awful sleepy for somebody on Central Time. <laughs> oh, there's a bit of a dig. All right, all no, right, I get it. That's not a dig. I just, you just have extra time in the day, right? Because it's earlier there. <laughs> not a dig at all. That's how that works, I think. Oh, it's something like that. Still, Anyways. Gorthead. What do you say we uh, bust through the five minutes of news that we have? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we, uh, 
I'm having an echo in my mic. Sorry. Uh, now I have motorcycle coming. You can enjoy the dulcet tones of a ratty 50-year-old motorcycle. Uh, it's actually not too bad. Your new choice or your getting back to your original choice of recording position sounds a lot better than the outside one. So, Yeah, we'll see how it works, how it plays out. But getting back to getting back to the news, we uh, had actually talked about this several months ago now. I think I said a couple months, but it's been since July this has been going on. I believe, if I'm remembering right, um, that um, in the ongoing lawsuit that CRA and IPCPR and CAA have going with or against the government, with the FDA, there were six health groups that uh, had asked, had actually filed a motion to be declared co-defendants with the FDA in this suit uh, for a few reasons. They're... Uh, um, alleged reason was they they believe that the FDA would not aggressively defend the the legislation, would not defend the rule Um, that has been put into place. They would not do it well and certainly would not have the same funding that these six groups would have access to. And so these groups wanted to become a part of the suit. They wanted to be named defendants or co-defendants in the suit uh, so that they could contribute their monies and their lawyers and their action to more aggressively defending it. Lawyers and, so, and money? Exactly. Maybe not the guns, but at least the lawyers and money. Lawyers. Lawyers. And <laughs> 99% of them give the rest a bad name. Um, the uh, district judge, district court judge this past week, I guess close to two weeks ago now, um, actually rejected this request, did not permit them to be named co-defendants in the suit. Um, and, and it was a lengthy uh, opinion that was written up uh, about it. And I have not read through the whole thing because that's not my bag of reading all the minutia of legal opinion. Um, but to kind of sum it up, he, he basically just said, look, these, these groups should not be a part of this suit because, at least up until this point, they have not presented any evidence that, A, the FDA would not aggressively defend the rule. Uh, I believe, I being the judge, he believes that they will, that up to this point they have shown that they will defend it. They have been logical in their pursuit of it. and. Uh, the the groups initially claimed that the delays, the uh, extensions that have been put into place were nonsensical, but the judge kind of took this to be the opposite way, that they, they're more, uh, more logically plotting a strategy, and he believes they will actually defend the rule. And secondly, for them to be named co-defendants, they would need to demonstrate um, injury to themselves, injury to the groups, if the FDA did not defend this, if the rule was stricken, if it was struck down and taken out of play, then there would need to be some uh, real or at least legally defensible injury to these organizations. And their argument was, well, if this rule goes away, then we're going to have to spend more money to promote quitting smoking or not beginning to smoke or whatever. And he basically said, that's not going to fly. That's not 
that's not defensible. That's not a real injury to you six groups. And so he, he tossed this out. I, I don't know the ramifications if they're, if they're able to bring this again at some point or make revisions or appeals or how that's going to work. But at least for the moment, uh, they are not included in the lawsuit. Hmm. It's interesting to me that, you know, I don't remember exactly what I said about this in July, but it's interesting to me that these organizations thought there was some legal reason that they would be able to participate. I mean, I, I, what did they rely on? It seems so obvious that you can't just insert yourself into something because you think you can do a better job. That's that's just not how – that just doesn't seem to be how the, the justice system runs. So I'm, I'm just very much left scratching my head like, why – who thought that this would work? I don't know. Uh, right. I mean, apparently there is actually an established method for doing such a thing. This was not a brand new, never before seen legal ploy. This is something that that is done, that that pe- people or I suppose groups and organizations more likely can ask to be included as a co-defendant if they believe they can do it better and they can demonstrate that if it's not done better, they're going to suffer injury from it. Well, I uh, I can certainly see the thought that oh, we may suffer injury, so we should be the ones who are involved in this. But it, it, they obviously didn't. They obviously didn't prove that. Right. Yeah. So At least I, not to I, this point. And, and I, I don't know. It, it seems like legal matters never seem to die or go away. So again, I don't know if this is something that's revivable and can be presented in a different way or whatever, but I guess we'll find out in the days to come. You know, I've had conversations with people before, not about this specific case. I don't even know if case is the right word here, but not about this specific um, ordeal, but, about other ordeals thinking about um what how you actually handle a court case when you're expecting that it's going to mean nothing and you're just going to have an appeal Uh, whether or not you bring everything up initially you try every strategy initially you may try to pardon me not no i shouldn't i i don't mean to sound as if these are my own thoughts. I'm not nearly uh, legal savvy enough to have developed this thought or shared this opinion. But it seems as if there is some strategy that is don't put all your eggs in one basket um, at a lower level if there's the logical understanding that this will escalate to a higher level. Because what if you lose? Then you have nothing that you can try to win over that higher level for. Save your maybe truly indirect um, impact as to how your company can uh, have the, the can be negatively impacted, save that information for when it really matters. Is that what's happening here? I mean, is that, that to me would seem the only logical course for these six uh, health groups or organizations. I, it, it just seems so stupid that you would jump in without knowing that you have the, the, uh, Basically, the ace in the hole. 
Right. And, and uh, I agree. I mean, in, in what I read about it, it sounded like their only argument for them being injured was the fact that if, if in their eyes, a worst case scenario, this rule was, was completely struck down and went away and the FDA lost everything in the suit, then they would have to spend more money to get the message out that smoking is bad for you. And I don't know. I mean, it seems like that's pretty well known these days already. And it's, it's not something that they won't be able to do anyways. Before the FDA inserted themselves, they did that. Right. So who's what, how is this preventing them from continuing to do that? It's just not a multifaceted approach, but who cares? Just do it on your own. Like, it, I, I'm not I, – I am somebody who has children, and I don't want my kids to smoke cigarettes. Like, I, I'm not about to say that I think that this is a healthy life choice or lifestyle. That That's not it. It's just no one is saying that this is going to prevent you from continuing what you were doing four years ago as it is. Right. And, and no one's saying outright that the FDA rule will... Will even do that. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it's not as if... <laughs> Honestly, if the FDA uh, rules went into effect and did what their proponents hoped, these six groups would be out of business in their respect. They wouldn't need to get this message out anymore. That yeah. seems more more yeah. <laughs> injurious than the other way. Yeah, that's a ah, boy. There's a conspiracy theorist sweat dream if I've ever heard one. <laughs> 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 I, I mean. Come on now, seriously. That's like, I gave a speech once on energy efficiency and green construction. And uh, I was I was younger. Um, I thought that I had written a really damn good speech. And I was uh, overconfident in how it was going to be received. And a guy asked a question. He was like the second question in the Q&A afterwards. Um, and it was about, uh, basically, it was, why are the um, power companies around the nation, these mini monopolies, why are they to be trusted in their efforts to propagate energy efficiency? Um, now, for a, a practical example, um, the Northern Illinois uh, Natural Gas Company is called NICOR. They're an Exelon company, very, very large um, natural gas and oil-based corporation. Um, they offer funds, approximately 25% of the cost of what it would be to re-insulate your attic and air seal and uh, improve the overall efficiency of your home. This gentleman used uh, a previous um, rebate option from those companies as a reason for kind of the head scratcher that we're talking about now. Why the hell would you trust them in doing something that's completely counterintuitive with what you would imagine their business model would be? There's something that doesn't make sense. At what point are we going to become so efficient that the energy companies have to stop us from being efficient because it's taking business away from them. Um, 
And I had an answer for the gentleman, and it was purely uh, uh, a theory or a thought that I had, but it was exactly in line with this. Like, it just doesn't make sense. If you get your message out there enough, you won't have an organization. So you can't truly want your message out there enough. Like, hey, it's just it's just a, a total catch-22 oddity that uh, over time we'll see more about, but... It's always kind of struck me as a, as a head scratcher. Yeah. Anyways. I don't have the answer. I, have yeah, I, I don't either. And I was in front of a room of a thousand people trying to come up with one. It makes me nervous. And I'm not even going to have to be in a room with front of a thousand people. I don't like that. You know, I uh, a little diversion. Um, I had written the entire speech out, and uh, had... what? You what? wrote out a speech. You made notes of what you were going to say. Oh, no, I, like I, I literally wrote it word for word, and then attempted to uh, memorize as much as I could, so I wasn't looking down reading the paper during the speech. But <clears throat> point being was that I was so. It, it, enthralled with my own words that I, I I was, oh gosh, I, I'm embarrassed by this. It wasn't so much that I was, I was uh, scared of the public speaking because I knew what I was talking about and I was passionate about it. I afterwards uh, during this Q and a was scared about the fact that I had not even noticed or, or, stuck with the the feeling of the audience were there more people who were skeptical that i did not uh line up with in my thoughts or my beliefs it was it was a pretty sobering moment the public speaking side was not even close to being what was uh giving me an ulcer that evening (laughs) still not a fan yeah i i have stood before groups big groups but i don't like it any more easy for me. I read something this week. Uh, this is brief, but it's interesting. <clears throat> I read something this week that some researcher thinks that they've pinpointed um, or come up with a an indisputable theory as to why we as humans typically are not um, interested in public speaking. Where the, where the heck did I hear this? Uh, Everything that I'm saying is paraphrased, but essentially it it comes down to um, instinctually the only times when we were developing into Homo sapiens, the only times that we would address or be in front of a large group was when we were essentially in a tribunal trying to defend our life (laughs) because we were nomads. We didn't live uh, in towns or in packs. We we, uh, essentially fended for ourselves, and so you <laughs> you uh you had to defend your life and that was really the only time so there was a, a an active uh an active nervousness that typically went along with it cuz you knew that if you did a bad job <laughs> Russian front <laughs> <laughs> anyways okay what else we got Oh, I got to get to the notes to answer that question. One more small little legislative story. And uh, I think this is propagated mostly in the last few days. 
that uh, I just mentioned the, that one of the uh, arguments these six health groups had made in, in their attempt to become part of this lawsuit was about the extensions that had been handed out uh, at various times for various parts of the rule um, because something wasn't ready or actually there's not frankly still today there's not much ready with this rule there are deadlines coming for things that there's not much guidance about what these things even require but whatever we've beaten that dead horse to death again yeah um, but uh, there has been yet another extension to another deadline as part of this rule. Uh, this time, a six-month extension for the, the overwhelming majority of cigar companies, both importers into the U.S. and manufacturers and distributors, uh, because the, uh, the companies have to file paperwork that declares the ingredients of their cigars. And if I'm remembering right from the initial rounds of talk about this part of the rule, uh, they basically said, if you have anything that goes into this cigar besides potable water and tobacco, we want to know about it. Um, and I'm going to get to that part in a minute and my thoughts about that. But back to the main story here with the extension. The extension came about because of a number of wildfires and hurricanes and floods and everything that have gone on in uh, the, per the the areas where cigar companies tend to congregate in the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua and Florida and Miami specifically. Um, so they pushed this back six months and it actually goes to next May, May of 2018 is the new deadline for filing the paperwork. Uh, small companies have an even longer time. Um, it's toward the end of next year, like October, November of next year. A small company being, I believe, a company under $5 million per year in sales. And there's an, uh, an employee quantity associated with that as well. I don't remember the cutoff for that. Um, so this has been pushed back. The reason being these storms have affected these areas, um, at least the claimed or alleged or disclosed reason being these things have impacted these areas. People have been delayed. They're not going to be prepared to, to make these filings yet. So we're going to push it back six months. In all honesty, yet totally speculative on my part, I have zero nada to back this up. I think it's just because they're not ready because they don't know what they're going to require the companies to disclose. They don't know what they're going to make them say. And this goes back to our earlier conversation back a few months ago of when when this was this was just coming out because I know there are cigar makers who use things other than potable water and tobacco. And I wonder how freely they're going to be willing to share that information. And I wonder how stringently the FDA is going to push it and make sure it's disclosed because it seems every factory I go in, many of them use betun, which is their little concoction that tries to standardize the color. And the majority of the makers say, we don't use it, but I go into factories and I see what I know as ingredients for it, like 15 gallon jugs of wine or bottles of rum or, or vats of water with tobacco soaking in it to make a colored tea and these things I know are used as they 
even if they say we don't do that. I know a lot of them are doing it, and some of them even admit to it. And in the original rule, that was going to have to be disclosed, and it wasn't just here are the ingredients for what we're putting on this tobacco. There was going to have to be some associated field work, lab work maybe even, that kind of tells how this, how these things interact with tobacco on a, in an organic chemistry fashion, what's really going on chemically. And honestly, I don't think cigar makers are prepared to do that. I don't think they're in any position for that. I don't think they have that knowledge to share. And I don't know if they'll have it six months from now. My here, here's some thoughts that I have. I, <laughs> I know that the onus is on the cigar manufacturers to provide the information that the FDA is going to be asking for. But I think that throughout this entire process, the FDA will likely realize that there's no chance there's enough sophistication and money to provide that from the cigar manufacturer's perspective. And logic would say, well, then those companies aren't going to be able to produce or sell cigars. I don't think that it's going to go there. I think that during the process, it will be realized that it's just an impossibility and an industry will self-destruct that other steps and other things will be, will be made. Concessions, you could perhaps call it. Uh, it seems to me that something's got to give because let's just say if there is a tobacco tea, all right, let's 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 call it that just for the ease of what's going on. And if the main reason is that it can be used to essentially dye wrappers um, without well, using the, anything artificial, I, how are you even going to be able to quantify that? If this tobacco tea is one of many things I see in it that I've seen. Herbs and spices like Kentucky Fried Chicken going into the stuff, and, and it's really yeah, common yeah. for it to be rum or wine, that's just, or a mixture of the two. I don't know what that does within a tobacco leaf, you know, chemically speaking. I, I don't have a clue, and I don't think they do either. And I just wonder, like I said, how how much that's going to be pushed. It, it it reminds me. I used to work for a company that beginning before my time and ongoing after my time was a remediation of a, um, a site where lumber was treated for Oof. decades and lumber was treated before the company I worked for by another entity, actually a state agency who treated lumber there without a drip pad, which means it was charged the, the vessel was charged, the lumber was treated, pressure treated with CCA, which we talked about this week, and taken out and it just dripped on the ground. So the ground was just fiery hot with arsenic, because CCA is largely arsenic. And so this remediation is going on. And there was a standard of 50 parts per million that you needed to remediate to. And you needed to remediate the, the soil and the groundwater. The soil was easy enough. We dug up 36 inches of soil across the entire site, disposed of the, the uh, soil as whatever classification of waste it was at the time. But the groundwater was a different story. 
groundwater. Yeah, how do you even address that? Well, see, arsenic doesn't tend to leach very well, uh, and so it turns up in samples in areas where it's going to stay there. It's hard to get out. So it's a long story of how we approach that, but it actually was very successful, but it's going to be going on for decades. Um, we created a gradient, a flow gradient for the groundwater into these wells by pumping, and it would make everything drain into the pump areas rather than off-site. That's neither here nor there. The whole point of the story is that when this remediation began, the standard, the required cleanup standard was 50 parts per million. Well, somewhere along the line, the EPA changed the standard to 10. Now you have to meet 10 parts per million to declare this site clean. Oh, man. Okay, that's great. Also, they come back and say, we're going to hold you to that standard. Even though you began this before that existed, you're going to be held to that standard. You will need to clean until it's that clean. Okay, so we start looking around. Well, this standard is new. There are no labs in the entire United States that can test to that. All of their equipment is set up to test to 50 parts per million. So there were zero facilities that would test a sample and say this is below 10 parts per million. We don't have the technology or the, the methodology to figure that out right now. And so it was moot for us in the end because this project went on for many years and today that technology exists. But it was stupid. Had we been near the end of the project, we would have been sitting there pumping water for years at great expense because there was nobody that could demonstrate the site was clean to the new standard. And th this just reminds me of that where we put something in place and I'm not sure that I'm not sure. I, I don't know what's going to be required, and I don't know if manufacturers are ready to and prepared to give whatever that happens to be. Jeez, <clears throat> that's that is such a such a <laughs> an on the nose story for this. Hey, we've got this requirement. No one is able to actually determine if you meet it, though. And that's what we went back to them with, and we said, look. We have checked with this long list of labs. None of them can provide that. Can you at least tell us a lab that's able to do it? And the answer was no, but you're going to be held to this standard. They had no answers, just that we had to figure it out. Um, I'm not a fan of several government agencies, and the EPA is one of them. <laughs> I'm a fan of having the EPA. I'm not a fan of the way it's been run for the past 20 years that I had anything to do with it. Hmm. Ah, bureaucracy. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Well, this, uh, this last one, I, I have to say one of those horribly evil things that people put on the internet. This <laughs> comment is useless without pictures. Well, I ain't got a picture to tell you. Oh, you're such a hillbilly. <laughs> uh, well, the picture's worth a thousand words, so if I don't have one, I can't tell you. Folks, what I am harassing Kip about is uh, our final uh, story here that he has written in the news section, and it is about the new Davidoff headquarters uh, in Switzerland. I would imagine Geneva, but 
I don't even know that for sure. Um, it is supposed to be Basil. Basil, really? Basil, Geneva, yeah. Whatever uh, you want to call it. Are they gonna change their cigar bands? Uh, you got me, man. I'm looking here. I got the press release. I can send it to you. You can get you a picture all day long if you want to. No, no, no. It's not for our fans. It's <laughs> it's it's for the good and educationalism of our fans that I need to. Uh, I bet you can't even say that again. Educationalism. Mm. Whatever. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> educationalism. Uh, see, you got it too. It's not that hard. <clears throat> well, anyways, Davidoff's got some new digs. It's supposed to be pretty cool. It's no longer in Geneva. I want their cigar bands to change. Next story. Well, how do you know Basil is not Geneva? Orlando isn't Miami? I'm going to forward this press release to you about 15 times in the next 24 hours. <laughs> That's all right. I've got 16 delete button uh, depresses coming for you. <laughs> I, I Here, there's like a whole slew of pictures. You, you can just knock yourself out. And then I'm going to focus. No nope. time anyway. Put your cigar band up there. It'll focus on that. <laughs> it's not damn enough. <laughs> Uh, well, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I guess I just wanted to be snarky. <laughs> okay, this in it, so. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> Did you copy my address like 30 times into the one email? No, not yet. I'm going to create a, uh, a, yeah, macro that'll run that for me every few minutes. <laughs> Uh, you see what I have to deal with, folks. All I want is good quality information for our listeners. No, Kip just wants to taunt you and not give you what you deserve. No, no, that's not true. Just you. Oh, uh, well, okay. I understand. <laughs> you know, this cigar has gotten kind of grapefruity on me. Grapefruity? Wow. I yeah. would not have gone there. I wouldn't either until the last couple of minutes, but it's actually pleasant. I do appreciate a grapefruit myself. Hmm. It's a little sweeter than that. It's not. It's not uh, bitter in any sense, but it has the quality of a grapefruit flavor. If you take grapefruit juice and dilute it and put a crap ton of sugar in it, it's kind of grapefruity. Let's see if I can get my lighters. Yeah, I got my lighters to go. Now, with my two lighters, I have to light my half a match. <laughs> are you, Wait, what? You are lighting matches with lighters to light a cigar. I am. I've done that many times for a pipe, but not a cigar, because torch lighters are not good for pipes. But I suppose it works with cigars, too. I mean, personally, I like to use the lighter actually on the cigar, but... Well, I have next to no fluid left in, uh, you probably can't see that very well. I have next to no fluid left in my, my one lighter that's got uh, a decent kind of razor flame. And my other lighter does not have the ability any longer to actually ignite. You can see the spark in there. 
but it doesn't want to work. You so, have Walmart up there. <laughs> I can see the disdain in your eyes. <laughs> uh, I could have just gone around the whole thing and and used an actual match, but I had half of a cigar match left over from earlier. I figure I might as well take a few steps and Rue Goldberg my way to a, a well-ignited cigar. It, it, you sound like you lived through the Depression. I had half a match left I needed to use. Yeah, you're right. I lived through the Depression, but I'm smoking a $10 cigar. I don't think that could be more of a... <laughs> Mark Twain just turned over in his grave. Oh no, it wasn't Mark Twain. Who was it that said the what the world needs or the country needs now is another good five cent cigar? Uh you got me, but it wasn't Twain. I don't know. No, it wasn't Twain. Don't get you I'll one of this. Oh, is that a, a little insert? It's a Z plus insert for a zippo case. Uh, uh, dude, these things are dang near indestructible. I used them for years. And I only recall one of them ever going funky and not wanting to work anymore. Years. No aren't, uh, uh, aren't those discontinued? No. No, you can still them. There's, there's a few different makers of them. This one is Z+. Plus and uh-huh. Uh-huh. I love them. I have zero affiliation, nothing, no connection. I just bought them off the shelf for 12 bucks, and I got two or three of them. No issues whatsoever. They just freaking work. And they Nice little torches. You want to get pissed off? Sure. Without even attempting to do it, your camera focused perfectly on that lighter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is even funnier because the case is camouflage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, That that is pretty funny. I don't know how you even found it. Anyway, not kidding. I used to be a proponent of the little. When I I made the joke a while ago, do you have Walmart's up there? Walmart used to sell these little Ronson torch lighters. Didn't have to use Ronson fuel because I'm not a fan of that. But and for three bucks, and it was a torch lighter, and I always would buy those to fly with because I knew there was a good chance they were going to get taken from the suitcase. Uh-huh. And about half the time they did, but I didn't care because it was three bucks. And I used to use those a lot, always for traveling, and had good success. But they were not long-term things. But I have, this is not one of them. This is my carry-around Zippo camouflage case because I don't care if I lose it. I have no attachment to it. But I have some, and that happens all the time. And see, they stand up to being dropped pretty, pretty good. And they work even when broken. Yeah, I have several Zippos that belong to my dad and my grandfather's and I can still use those cases with this insert as a, as a torch. And I do. This is the one I carry out of the house because I don't care if I lose the case, but yeah, 12 bucks, man, they work like a charm. Well, I, uh, I probably should get me one of those Walmart's inconspicuous enough. No, no, I can, no. Uh... Walmart does not have those. Walmart has the $3 Ronson job. Oh, okay. I gotcha. These little Z plus inserts come from cigar shops. Boy, when I dropped that joker, I lost it. I don't know where it went. I'm well, If they come from cigar shops, I'm amazed I've never seen one there. We had them at shops in Tennessee and Florida both. Huh. 
And back in the day when I had a uh, retailer's license, I could get them, but those days are long gone. Those days are long gone. I miss those days so badly. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine you do. Apparently, this lighter went into a wormhole. I'm, I'm looking at a white tile floor. I don't care if it is camouflage. I can see it on a white tile floor. But it is <laughs> so here I sit brokenhearted. No, I have a lighter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Do we want to talk about what else we've been smoking? Yeah. Yep, yep. The wheat. All right. Well, I am uh, lucky enough to have been able to uh, – well, not been able to. I was lucky enough to be treated to a package of cigars from our good friend DC, who uh, we have mentioned numerous times on the show before, and I believe I've even mentioned <laughs> – uh kip is searching feverishly for his lighter um i am uh anyways dc sent me a package of cigars which i believe i've spoken of on the show before and in it was uh a la aurora 107 i had that a couple weeks back i think and decided this week that I was going to stop out at a cigar store and uh, pick up another one because I enjoyed it so much. So I had a La Aurora 107 Robusto, um, and I think that I need to take a moment and we need to kind of talk about this. It might be a fun little exercise to to write all of your major cigar uh, producing countries that are out there and come up with the number one cigar, which encapsulates what that country's profiles um, or perhaps style uh, predominantly is. Um, and I have to say, I would submit the La Roa 107 as being that for the Dominican Republic. <sighs> it's just, it, it I wrote something stupid like it's like someone rolled up the, the Dominican Republic's culture into a five inch long cylinder of a cigar. It's just, it's just perfect. Hmm. I don't know. It's right there with me with the uh, Cabaguan Maduro. Maybe it's not the most complex. Maybe it's not the, the most special, but it's just a cigar that is in my wheelhouse. It's belt high. Right on the inside of the strike zone. Perfect. <laughs> but you could not identify it in a lineup. But I cannot identify it in a lineup. Nope. Well, just about anything from La Aurora is, could be somehow declared predominant here because that's such a ginormous company in this country. Just the numbers are staggering. <laughs> the, La Aurora is a big company here. Uh, oh, they're in everything from cigars to uh, alcohol to banking. Well, I I mean, actually, I think the cigar arm was sold off a couple of years ago now. But, yes, they were part of Leon Jimenez and, uh, and the company that does cigarettes, the massive cigarette production, Presidente Beer, which is, as far as I can tell, owns this entire country. Um, uh, they're just huge. And when you go to a cigar store here, you can buy all different kinds of cigars. But when you go to a supermarket 
or some other store that has a cabinet of cigars, which is not uncommon, there's always one brand. If there's if there's only one brand, it's La Aurora every single time. If there's two brands, there'll be some Quesada, but that's just a recent thing started popping up with the cabinet of Quesada, but La Aurora is every freaking where. Huh. I, I like the 107. They, they made a 107 Maduro as a limited run a few years ago, and I adored that cigar, but they were really hard to come by. I don't it that sounds familiar like maybe I had one but I don't I don't know for I, sure. I actually I believe initially there was they were selling like a box of special cigars and there was one 107 Maduro Robusto in the box and that was like the only way to get it. You couldn't just go buy a box of them. But mm. if I'm if I'm not mistaken now you can buy them by the box but they're not at all inexpensive. They're hard to come by. Hmm. They have them at the factory. Come down to a factory tour of La Aurora. I think they don't always have them in there. The Lanceros? No, 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 no. I think the Robustos, the Maduro. Oh, 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 oh okay. Um, that actually, that the gift shop at the La Aurora factory is kind of a neat deal. If you go in there and show them an American ID, you don't pay the tax on them. Really? Yeah, you don't pay the internal tax. So it's like an immediate 18% that's not going to be tacked onto it. Huh. But prices are pretty spotty. They're hit or miss. Some of them are good deals. Some of them are just silly. It's like there's no no rhyme or reason to what they're going to charge today or tomorrow for the cigars. Well, my uh, 107 was a very enjoyable diversion from my day when I had it. And um, actually, I had that last weekend on my uh, little cigar trip that I, or on my little uh, guy trip that I went on. So it uh, it made that even, even better. It was a good time. Um, well, the next one that I have on here, we're going to go back to one of those uh, one of those dog ears that we put in our conversation earlier. Um, I, I, I'm supremely interested in this comment you put about this cigar. It's it's funny because you, I would imagine that you saw this was in there um, or could prove that this was in there prior to you making a comment. So the cigar that I'm about to discuss is the Tatuaje Bell Ancre, uh from or Bell Onk, leave it to the hillbilly, who was a, a, a millimeter or a millisecond away from correcting my pronunciation. I'm no, sure he was. Not at all. Yeah. Do you believe him, folks? I don't. I don't speak French. I, neither do I. Um, well, it is the Bell Onk, and it's one of the 2013 versions. Um, I don't know. Have these been produced consistently since? They have, um, correct? Yeah, I believe so. They actually dropped off the 10th anniversary band sometime subsequent to the 10th anniversary, but that, that band was still showing up well beyond the first year. Well, um, I believe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but didn't the Maduros come out at the end of 2013? 
or was that 2014? Because we split uh, a box of those. Well, oh, hmm. I do not recall when that was. You know, I'm going to bet that it was probably 2014 because I know they were still running those 10th anniversary 2013s well into 2014 for the traditional bell long. So I, I would bet it was probably 2014 yeah. that this box hey, was uh, from. Quick little bit of Google Foo turns up the first uh, sales pitch of a, an e-tailer selling that cigar in February of 2014. Okay. Uh I believe that I wanted to buy a box of these cigars and you had a box of the traditionals. And so we went halves and we each yeah. split uh, that. So these are from early 2014 was when we purchased them. Cause I know, I know this, uh. the, the box of the Maduros was the original run. I got those right when they were released. So, uh, but those the were regular, well after the regular came out. They were. They were well after the regular came out. So what I'm discussing is not, in fact, a 2013 Bellong. It's probably one of those 2014s uh, from the time frame that the Maduro came out. So gotcha. my, my year is slightly off, but it's been three years. These have been sitting in their varnished cab, um, and I have not had very many of them. I bet I've only had seven or eight cigars from this box of 20. So there's, it's still more than half full. Um, I, my comment, my first and only comment is these cigars are getting stronger. That is in absolute direct. No, you know, I won't say it's an absolutely direct contradiction to what you said earlier. It is, it is building upon what you said earlier, which was that those... Did I just snort? What the heck was that? I did. <laughs> that the uh, Belong was a little bit more of a toned down, lighter, not as nasal napalm as what you may come to expect from a lot of the Tatuaje and Papine cigars that are, that are out there. Um, it, well, folks... It's turning into that. This is now a little bit more abrupt in its sensation of smoking it. It is stronger with the feeling of nicotine being more present sooner. Um, it, it is a it is a more developed blend. It's easier to tell what the blend is now, what the actual flavors are, but it's without question. Um, much more in line, if not surpassing, the typical Cazadora strength level. Probably surpassing. I am really, really surprised. Wow. I, I am as well. Hmm. Sidman disagrees with you. He says they're not getting stronger. Well, has he had them from my box? <laughs> I don't know, but that's something only you and he would probably know. Yeah, it, that's probably true. And I would imagine it would be him because I'm pretty sure he hasn't been down to the States. <laughs> but uh, that uh, that was a, a shock earlier when I had that. And uh, It is shocking to me because that was one of the things I remember about that cigar. And I smoked a ton of them at the time was how 
uncharacteristically suave they were compared to a lot of other. That's why he's my father. Yes. And I, I would say that they, what do I, what do I say here to not be subjective or to be less subjective? Um, Well, we're talking about cigars, so there's not much you can say. No, you're right, but you can also not, maybe subjective isn't the right word, hyperbolic, to be less hyperbolic. How about that? Um, These are are cigars that I would no longer use the word suave to describe. And I absolutely agreed with you back in the day, a few years back, that that was an apt description. That's interesting. I, uh, there's a particular shop here in town that I've not been to in several months for a number of reasons, but I know they had the Belle Anc at the time. I may break my personal rule and go back down there and see. Maybe I'll give them a try and see if – I don't know how old a vintage it was that they had on the shelf. It could have been – who knows? They could have been brand new or they could have been four years old. Well, lift it up. There's box codes on the My yeah. Father stuff. Exactly. Um, send a lighter. Well, or wait a couple months, and I'll send a couple down for you. Cool. Although, Maybe. if they don't line up with what I'm saying, then uh, – Then they've, they've re- drastically changed over these next Then they've days. drastically changed in two months, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Well, that is intriguing. Yeah, I thought so too. <clears throat> and that is exactly why I mentioned it. I don't have a great deal to talk about smoking since our last show, except these guys. And I've been through a crap ton of them. And I've used the word crap ton of a crap ton of times tonight. I've smoked a bunch of these La Aurora ADNs in the past couple of weeks. Um, and I think the ones I sent you were the Robustos from the initial release. Yes. I have not spoken of them very much because I knew we were going to smoke them on the show. But I found those to be a little bit strong. But it was weird. As I smoked several of them and got through them, it became so that they did not seem so strong anymore. I, I adjusted to the cigar. But after having smoked a bunch of Toros, which is what I have right now, I do not believe I have gotten past this point on any of them. They are wearing me out. Uh, wow. So, so strong. They're I'm just whipping me. I, I mean, I've, uh, this is after coming back to it a couple of times. I, I, I get about, you know, halfway through the second third of the cigar. And, no, I'm, I'm done for a while. I can't, I can't do it. Huh. I uh I got muted, sorry. They um they don't seem to relight very well either. I they no matter how much scraping I do to get the black and the ash out, they, they still don't want to revive. They don't want to come back around when I relight them. They want to stay ashy and harsh and, and so I find myself wasting a big part of these doros at the moment. Have you uh, have you taken to um, purging cigars prior to lighting them up, or is that not you? 
I, I have at times. I do that. We've talked about it before. I do that cold before lighting. I blow just the crud out, whatever residuals hanging out in there, just as an effort to try and cut down on the bitterness. Uh -huh. But I don't. I don't actively huff and puff with with a torch at it. It might not be a bad idea. That sounds like something that's with how you're describing the experience and then it not lighting up so well, if you're going to do something with it, maybe try to, to, when you're torching it before you put it in your mouth, torch it, torch it, torch it, put it in your mouth and blow it out as you're torching it. Right, right there just for a couple seconds to see if you can see yeah. if you can do anything about what might be residual in there. I tell you what it's like when you smoke I know it seems like we've come back around to my father several times. One of my very favorite My Father cigars is just the plain My Father number one. It's a kind of a little bit of an oversized Robusto. Love that cigar. But every once in a while, I'll get one that just beats me like a rented mule. It's it just it, it, it's scratchy in the back of the throat, and it's, it's quickly overpowering to me. I'm, I'm not a super heavy duty deluxe kind of nicotine guy, but it just beats me. And that's what this is like. And it comes back doubled when I try to relight it, uh, relight the cigar. And it's just instantly feels like I've been smoking this cigar for an hour and it's, you know, it's harsh on the back of the throat and I feel the effects of nicotine very quickly. And, so I, I've, I've had a lot of difficulty with these Toros, despite the fact that the Robustos really grew on me by the time I had smoked several of them. I I really was enjoying them, and, and and I enjoy these for about a third and a half of the second one, third. Hello? Hey. What'd you say? What was that last part that you said? I said I had grown to really enjoy the Robustos, but then, but I find myself wasting a lot of the Toro, despite the fact that I enjoy the first third and half of the next. They, they it gets to a point where I just I'm not enjoying it anymore, and I put it down, and then I can't relight it later because I can't get it to come back around to being a normal human strength cigar. At the second third, is that how you finish that? Yeah. Okay. I it cut out. I didn't hear third. I heard at the second. So I wasn't sure what where you were going. I uh, I wonder what that. I wonder why that uh, would be. It's so consistent. You would almost think it's as if it's a, a, a component of a leaf that's actually a longer length. That's just too much. It's you're getting too close to the stem. I don't know. Because this is the blend with the Andujo. Huh. That's right. I forgot about that. I've had a couple other cigars with that tobacco and didn't didn't have this kind of response to it. And this this cigar only has my understanding, my memory says half a leaf of Andujo in the blend. Yeah, the leaf was three feet long. <laughs> well, um, I I know you don't have too terribly much. Uh, more that you can discuss, and we've already talked about the uh, uh, compost cigars a lot. So, what do you say we 
kind of wane down a little bit uh, on this evening by talking uh, one more time about what we're smoking now and then close out with a, a little bit of a, a helpful uh, story, perhaps, for one of our listeners. Okay. A question that they had. So what... Uh, what do you have to add at this point? I am definitely into the final third. The cigar has definitely changed. I have lost all of the sweetness that was there earlier. Um, I've also lost a lot of complexity. I came Boom. up with an awful heck of a lot in the first third, but not anymore. Yeah, I agree. Uh, mine has come back around a little bit, but for quite some time around the, the early early mid portion of the cigar, it, I, I won't say flavorless. It never was flavorless, but it lost a step. It, it was uh, not as boldly flavorful as before. And definitely agree. A lot of the sweetness is gone. That brown sugar kind of element we were talking about earlier is just not there at all anymore. Um, but, but like I said, this one has come back around. It seems to have picked back up and, and some of the sweetness is back. It's not as sweet as it was in the early minutes. Uh, but it's it's back there, so maybe a little more uh, leathery, almost. And you know, I I don't use leather as a a, a flavor impression very often. But mm-hmm. when I when I do, I tend to clarify because I have meant two very different things at times. I you know, when some people think of leather, they think walking into a leather shop where it smells like a tannery and these fresh chemical kind of smells. Or there's the old baseball glove that's just worn in, and it and it has that. I love that smell, that old leather. You know, and that is more akin to what I'm getting out of this tonight. But it, but it is subdued still. It's not as prominent uh, as it was early on. But I'm not considering putting it down. Enjoy the cigar. I'm still happy with it. I'm still glad to smoke it. It's funny that that's your reaction because my reaction is that I'm not getting anything that I want out of this cigar. It's not bad, but I see no reason to continue smoking it. Hmm. And that, that might be much more (laughs) in line with the fact that um, while I wouldn't say that I have a larger cigar budget than you do, uh, because I'm not oh, you really... absolutely have a larger cigar. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> buying cigars though right now. Like I, I've bought probably one cigar in the last couple months. You know, I, I bought a 107 last week, <laughs> this week, whatever. You know, other than that, that's it. Well, just for the record, the ones I'm buying are you know 25 for a dollar. So <laughs> yeah, so you've bought 400 cigars for the price of my 107. <laughs> Who's buying more cigars, Kip? Um, But um, it's certainly not bad. It just, it's kind of like one of those, you know, what am I getting out of this to want to continue to smoke this? I I don't know. Um, I'm with you. I've been there many times where... Okay, it's not. I don't have anything to say negative about the cigar, but I have, you know, whatever X number of cigars that I would enjoy more in the humidor if I want a cigar right now. Yeah, I. Uh, I think I'm going to put it down. 
you can. She's down. You might be able to salvage that last quarter of a, of a match later and reload it. <laughs> no, I'm going to save the last quarter of a match to uh, hold it up to my room heater to try to get an ember going before I finish it off in my hands to light it <laughs> to uh, to light my stove for dinner tomorrow. All right, all right, all right. Well, that's uh, that's kind of my takeaway. The the best part of that cigar was the first third, without question. Um, the middle third saw kind of a little bit of a dance going on. Um, the cigar never got palate polluting, but it lost the kind of cleansing sensation of that crispness that I mentioned early on, um, and it it just was you know, a little less complex in the second third, still nice tobacco flavors. And then by the final third, there was, there was one flavor, which was kind of a boring. And I don't mean that as a, in a derogatory manner, but kind of a boring tobacco taste interlaced with almost the starts of the flavor of when a cigar is telling you, maybe it's done. Um, I could have kept smoking it and I don't think that it would have polluted the rest of how I'm tasting anything, but it just wasn't, wasn't appealing. So, yeah, uh, yeah. there's been several things in this cigar that have made me think of pot tobaccos. And initially I put in the notes on the cold draw that it, let me get back up to that. It was Odie. And I almost like a, a generic grain or oats where there's a little yeah. bit of sweetness in there with them or even just bordering on earthy but not not dark and dank kind of earthiness just just a little bit a little bit of a dirty flavor a little bit of an earthy flavor um, on the cold draw but even while smoking it it has reminded me of uh virginia blends of pipe tobacco and huh. not necessarily the prominent ones and, and what i mean by that is mcclellan is a uh, tobacco blender in I think they're in Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken, but I wouldn't swear to it. Somewhere in barbecue territory. Um, <laughs> that, that's the entire Mason-Dixon line, south of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> you didn't well, even know you were so clever. Uh, it's funny that McClellan, Virginia's are very, very distinct. When you light one or you smell one unlit, you know who made that tobacco Something they do in their process has a very distinct aroma. There are people that say it smells like ketchup or barbecue sauce, but I, I, I don't make that relation. Um, but it does have a very distinct aroma. Not at all like the, those Virginia blends. The Lakeland District in England, the houses of Gawith and Hogarth and Samuel Gawith, they have very distinct uh, tobaccos. Virginia, the treatment that they put their tobacco through, and they use... Tonkin bean, which gives it a floral kind of uh, aroma and flavor. Not at all like that. But you can go into a tobacconist that has bulk jars of tobacco, and they'll have several. And most of the time, they're bought from either Lane, a distributor, uh, or Pete Stokeby, or um, one other one whose name escapes me at the moment. And they're huge mass-produced blends, and a tobacconist buys them. They relabel them, put their own name on it, and call it their house blend. But it's all the same stuff. Hmm. And it, it is, in the pipe tobacco world, it is generica. 
is not something that stands out. It, it's a Virginia blend. You can identify it as that if you're a pipe smoker, you know the difference between an English or something that has Latakia or the other Orientals in it, and you'll know a straightforward kind of plain Virginia tobacco, and that that's what this reminds me of. It's not super distinct. It's not standing out as something you know, out of the ordinary that's going to say, wow, this really grabbed my attention. I got to come back to it. But it reminds me of that uh, at times almost hay-like flavor that, that, that uh, um, well, what I said early on on the cold draw, that oats or generic grain kind of flavor that comes through at times. And that's really what it has reminded me of a number of times throughout the cigar so far. And I'm, I still got a good bit of it left. That's hmm. what it's made me think of anyway. Well, I can't say that I'm on the same page with the the inspiration, but I also don't think that your description is off either. So <laughs> I'm watching the chat room. Oh boy, as Edmund said, "What's ask what the deal was that you're not in the chat room anymore?" <laughs> and I told him you were too big for your britches. You didn't talk to us commoners anymore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He said he's getting a leather, a sharp leather Christmas on the Lusitania he's smoking. And then he said that you peer pressured him into saying that. I did. He wants to be a upper echelon like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> self, self-immaculated expert. <laughs> All right, let's get to this email before Zedman drives us down another rat hole. That guy. Well, we, uh, a long time ago on a website far, far away, we were sent a little note um, from a listener who was looking for a suggestion from us. And uh, I will take this one on the chin that being tasked with responding, I absolutely dropped the ball and haven't done a damn thing. So, uh, our hope here is that not only can I address uh, this young man's request, but I can also uh, perhaps stoke a bit of a fire in my co-host to divulge some of his uh, uh, dabbles into the world of Cuban cigars, and maybe we can talk about this in a real-world example as to how we would answer his question. So uh, he says, gentlemen... I am a long-time listener who could use a little advice. Padron, Tatuaje, Illusion are my go-to favorite brands, and I pretty much like anything from the Garcia family. So I will be in Europe for a week on business, uh, Brussels specifically, and he hopes to get to the La Cabasa de Labano. La Casa de Labano. La Cabasa. What? Bad pronunciation of his head. Um, oh, really? <laughs> uh the La Casa del Abano uh, to pick up a few Cuban cigars. He have ha- he has had a couple Partias that he's liked, and even a Bahique 52 a couple years ago. So I like Lanceros, Toros, Robustos in general. Any suggestions for something that might be in my wheelhouse? Thanks. Um, so, Jeff, um, I will kind of take a roundabout um, way of addressing this, and then I will circle back and start peppering the kipper with a few things. So my um, my take on this is that you will you need to be aware of a few things when you're diving into the world of Cuban cigars. 
90 plus percent of uh, the well-known Cuban cigars that are out there, 95 plus percent, are nowhere near the same sensation while smoking it of a non-Cuban. They are probably medium strength. Uh, Many are not any higher than medium body. Um, But the flavor profiles and sensation can be similar to some of the hard flavor styles that I've mentioned, but nowhere and nothing approaches the tobacco that you're going to get from the old tropical uh, uh, style or the AJ Fernandez style, or even a lot of the, the style that you find in the illusion or hell that, that um, my father, number one that you mentioned where it kind of at times can be a little, a little on edge where it's burning you and it's a good, it's a good sensation, but it's, it's pushing you to your limit. You are not going to find that from your typical Cuban cigar period. Uh, you can smoke a Cohiba. You can smoke a Partigas. It's just not that in 1995, there were major blend changes kind of away from what many of us would typically consider um, to be in line with where non-Cuban cigars are now. Um, even so much so to, uh, some people would say the legs were kind of chopped out from some of the major Cuban brands, Partigas or Bolivar or, um, gosh, what are some other ones? Uh, La Gloria Cubana. These are cigars that, that practically overnight went from being tobacco centric, hard flavors, strong, full bodied, um, blends to something that's akin to what it was, but now much more approachable. I think you need to dive a little deeper. Um, You need to be ready to have something that's different, but not different enough to where you're going to smoke it and say, oh, I just don't like this style of cigar. It might not be your preference because perhaps you prefer something a little bit heavier, stronger, uh, harder, but it's not going to turn you off. It is a much All in all, I believe that Cuban cigars are more approachable, and I am going to sneeze. All right, I'm back. Kip, can you hear me? Yeah, that was entertaining to watch. I'm sure it was. Um, I I believe that um, the average Cuban cigar is more approachable than the average non-Cuban cigar to the average smoker. So, um, that is a lot of averages. That is a lot of averages, and that is the intent. I think that more people would like a Cuban cigar than a non Cuban cigar on average. <laughs> Had to get another one in there. So, um, now kind of breaking that down a little bit you like Padron, you like Tatuaje, you like Illusion. You're not going for gimmicky cigars, you're going for cigars that have an underlying sweetness. Um, a solid core of tobacco flavor, um, something that is not going to be gimmicky, you're going to go for some of the classic Cuban brands. You're going to go for a Partigas. You're going to go for a, for a Ramonionis. You might even venture into some of the Adicio Limitadas um, that are offered on an annual uh, basis to get some of the harder flavors but still with the core of the more approachable, more refined, more suave 
flavor profiles that you can find in Cuban cigars. What I think you're probably going to line up with um, would be a pretty well-known cigar, and that is the Partius 898 Varnished. Now, the 898 is available in two different Fatolas, two different presentations, and two different blends. One is called the Varnished, one is the Unvarnished, and it is simply a descriptor for the package. Uh, Varnished cedar cab or an unvarnished cedar cab. Um, So I would say go for the 898 Varnished. It's probably going to line up very, very well for somebody who prefers uh, a lot of the My Father product. Um, and it's got that sweetness, which will be a little bit akin to some of the, uh, sweetness found in a lot of Padron cigars. Um, so it will also kind of check that box. Now, Kip, you have, I believe had very good luck with San Cristobal and Diplomatico. Maybe not a lot of experience, but am I right in kind of thinking that you've, you've had some good experiences there? Yeah, the, the uh, San Cristobal and uh, Ramon Ayones. I, I like both of those. Those would probably be my two favorite picks so far. So I um, I love Ramon Ayones. I'm sure I've said on these here air, airwaves that uh, that is my favorite brand. Um, it is a lot like Partigas, uh, but Partigas is a little... Less sweet. There's not as much or not as many types of sweetness going on. <clears throat> the Partigas probably, I'm sorry, the Ramoniones probably crosses over into like a a nutty sweetness. I sometimes will call it like a peanut brittle or cashew brittle type sweetness um, to go along with that typical Cuban twang citrusy tobacco core that you'll get from Partigas. Um, those are excellent variations but to try to be as close as you can i would definitely say that party is 898 now um i have have had a few of the cigars that i've shared on the show um and i think that we've had a few boulevards is that right kip yeah i believe you're right i'd have to do some digging but i think so I, I think that Boulevards are, for me, um, a really fun cigar to introduce yourself to uh, the Cuban style of, of blending because they, they pour that citrus sweetness out in spades. And um, they can, at times, have a really interesting take on what um, a non-Cuban smoker would call an earthy flavor. Um, it's not nearly as dank and, and dirty as some of the uh, um, uh, Fernandez stuff. Um, Casa Fernandez. Not, thank you, Casa Fernandez stuff. Uh, but it's it's a variation on that that is it's cleaner. It's not so much palate polluting, dirty, um, heavy full-bodiedness, but I don't, I don't know if you've had enough, but can you kind of pick up on the, the citrusy, earthy combo that kind of makes Bolivar unique, or is that uh, not something you've experienced enough? That may be a little above my pay grade of getting that specific, but I know that citrus component seems to be a 
dominant factor in um, most of the Cuban brands I have tried. It, it definitely is. And I think that when you venture into some specific boulevards, you can get it even more so too much to me. Um, the uh, boulevard in Mensa, which is roughly a Lonsdale, uh, it's a Dahlia, I believe, by Vitola, um, six and three quarter by 43, if I remember right. Uh, that is just, it's it's too much of that citrus Cuban flavor. Um, but in some of the other Boulevard Vitolas, like the Royal Corona, Royal Corona is a very approachable uh, introduction to a lot of the citrus and some of the earth. It's a good mix of kind of new school, old school, um, it, it kind of a, a cool thing. Now, um, Kip, you you didn't address it, but have you smoked the Diplomatico number two? It's that torpedo. Yeah, that's the only one I've smoked. But it's do been you, since last year since I had it. Do you have any memory of that? Perhaps having some coffee and cocoa sweetness. I, I don't. It's just been too long. I do remember taking a picture and sending it to you and telling you I was absolutely enthralled with the cigar. I do remember that as well. So I bring that up because um, when, whenever somebody says Padron, um, to me, the the best part of what Padron does is they make the best Maduro cigars on the market. They're not all uh, perfect, but when you get some that are displaying what what they have to display, they do it as good, if not better, than anybody. Um, it, it's espresso. It's almost a, a latte version of espresso, where it's not so deep, dark, um, and you know, uh, even bordering on bitter, like some other cigars. It it really brings sweetness with that espresso um, and creamy character. Diplomatico or Monte Cristo, when done right, and there are inconsistencies in the blends without question, when done right, they are the Cuban cigar that I will reach for if I want that kind of mocha, latte, creamy, espresso hybrid of flavors. And it reminds me a lot of a Padron different, but in in the same vein of uh, of what some of the good Maduro Padrones can bring, um, and Monte Cristo and Diplomatico are very similar blends. I would say that Diplomatico typically is a little bit more um, in line with the flavors that I'm talking about now, and Monte Cristo probably is not as much, though um, the best box of Monte Cristos I have ever smoked had this latte flavor in spades. It was just awesome but so um, I, I sorry go ahead i was just gonna say zedman said in the chat that uh, if you want a great citrusy cigar try one lopez number one or two yeah that's those are great suggestions so um <clears throat> juan lopez i think have a lot of similarities in that that brand's blend they have a lot of similarities to partigas but they amp up the citrus side of the party is profile. So if the Ramoniones amps up the sweetness um, and kind of the nutty component, take a step back from that sweet nutty component and add it more in a sweet citrus component. And you've taken Partius or Ramoniones and kind of converted it or morphed it into the Juan Lopez. Um, 
they're not super selections, but it's uh, I think they're just selection. Juan Lopez selection number one, and Juan Lopez selection two. Uh, the number one is a Corona Gorda. The number two is a Robusto, um, and they are great, great, great initial impressions on a Cuban cigar. Um, I, I Kip, I think you would really like the Juan Lopez. I work in the tribe, actually. I think those are on the shelf here. Oh, I was going to say, they're harder to find. They're not a huge export, but I I think that you would dig that. Cool. Really dig it. So I might give you a little homework. I, I would love to, even if I got to send down 50 bucks, I would love to fund you uh, trying three or four new Cuban cigars and uh, talking about them on the show. It would be interesting to have that kind of raw passion again about something that I love so much and you're a little bit more new to. Cool, Leo. And Jeff, if you are a planner and uh, we're asking us for something you're going to be doing here still upcoming uh, and not any time in the last five weeks, six weeks or so since you sent this note, sorry, I would absolutely love to uh, have you send some thoughts to Kip and have him share that uh, with me at the very least, and hopefully with all of us. So enjoy. It's uh, You are on a fun road. You can try a lot of new but similar and really fun stuff. Excellent. Cool, man. Wine? Well, we... Uh, or at least I gave final thoughts on this cigar. Do you uh, do you have anything else to add, or did we finish her no. up? I think we finished talking about it. I'm still smoking it. I still appreciate the cigar. <laughs> any uh, any additional transitions, or still kind of no, muted? It, maybe it, it has become maybe a little more drying on the palate. It just as a physical mm-hmm. effect more than a flavor. I mean, I don't have cotton mouth, but I feel like I'm getting that way. Maybe it's just because I've been talking more tonight than normal. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. (laughs) I was going to let us have a little dead air not to be talking for a while. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well. Ready to wrap this joker up, aren't we? I think that's a smart move. Well, our next episode is going to feature a yet-to-be-determined cigar from Craig, but I feel like it's going to be an E.P. Carrillo product. It is, and I just checked today. It is going to be an Edition Inaugural. Wow. Cool. That is probably my very favorite E.P. Carrillo cigar of all time. I am excited. If it had to be a toss-up, there's only one other cigar that, that... is right there with it to compare, and it's the other cigar that I have from you, the 2011 limited edition. Oh, the uh, original Dark Crystal? Uh, I did not think so. I thought the Dark Ritual was its own thing. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, I think it was re- released as its own thing. Okay. Well, if you Barbara. say so, I'll take your word for it. Afterwards. It's these two cigars right here. Oh, uh, let me get to the video. Uh, Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the darker. Cool. Well, those two are my two favorite Carrillo cigars, so you could not go wrong, no matter which you pick. Oh, well, fantabulous. Let's definitely do that 09. Cool. Now I'm excited. Now, now oh, I'm so excited. Too. My videos is fuzzy. 
<laughs> try to fix that again. Uh, no, no, not going to happen. Well, <laughs> so as always, folks, we're, we're glad you tuned in, whether you're here with us tonight uh, in the chat room or sometime down the road. Uh, you can come back for episode 171. And as you just heard, we'll be smoking the uh, inaugural edition from EP Korea, the 2009 EI, I guess. And, uh, in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can catch us at Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com or grab us through uh, any of the typical social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course the forum where we tend to hang out sporadically at times and regularly at other times, but somebody's around about any time. Uh, so we'd love to have you join us over there as well. Absolutely. And uh, Mr. Fisher, get your blushing cheeks on because this week's episode goes out to you to my good friend, Mr. Fisher. I would love to say thank you for yet another week. When you allow me to be a weekly guest host on half ashed to where I feel like I have to put in the least amount of effort possible for the most amount of involvement during the recording. And I appreciate the heck out of that. So thank you, my man, for letting me play around and have fun with this. I get like extra royalties for that or something. I will double your salary for this week. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who loves you, baby? I got (laughs) you. All right. So on that happy note, I was about to call you skip. Uh, Kip's raised. My entire life, I have answered to just about anything that rhymed. Hip, chip, tip, kip, all of them. People, you, you know what? I know we're signing off, but I got a quick little story here. <laughs> One time in my tenure of working in the prison system at Florida, I, I got a new manager, and right now I can't for the life of me remember his name. It was Carl, Carl something. I don't remember his last name. And I worked for this dude for about six months and everything's cool. And then one day something in his head snapped and he believed my name was Chip. (laughs) Calling me by the correct name for six months. And and it it wasn't a slip of the mind where he's speaking. He signed the emails to me that way. Everything that that became my name in his head for the rest of the time till he had a heart attack and had to quit working. I don't know what went on in that guy's head, but we came here. And a lot of the folks we interact with have difficulty saying my name because that that sound up from an I is not something that's maybe not even present. It's certainly not common in the Spanish language. So my name tends to, be, to go from Kip to Keith or Keith. And my middle, my middle name is actually Ivan which in Spanish is Ivan. And that's very easy for uh, Latino people to say. The people that typically speak Spanish have no difficulty saying Ivan. So that's how I most of the time introduce myself now because it's just easier than <laughs> peace. Uh, I, I like that. That's, that's right up there with my neighbor who, after living here for 11 years, still calls me Mark. <laughs> I got one more funny story. We started, it's been over two years now that we've been working in Palo Alto. And there's a man up there that we 
interacted with, had conversations with every single week for over a year. And we called this man Bobby. (laughs) That is not his name. His name is Victor. (laughs) And he never spoke a word, never said a thing with us calling him Bobby every week. there, There is a man in that community named Bobby, but we early on got somehow got wires crossed and thought that was his name. He never corrected us until one day somebody else told us, you know, that's not his name, right? (laughs) Uh, No, uh, where I'm from in Tennessee, we call people Bobby. Yeah, you mean you you didn't know that Poppy's a nickname for Victor? (laughs) Ah, that's great. I like that. That's a good one. All right. I think uh, a laugh and sore cheeks is a great place to sign off. So, folks, we hope you enjoyed this because we sure as heck know that uh, that Kip and I enjoyed it. So one last time, good night, everybody, and thanks for listening. <laughs>